you nervous no no all righty we're back uh new year kind of a new season uh love and life we've been doing some promo work last year uh working to get some things back on the regular uh really trying to pump out some regular episodes and uh talk to more people that are doing cool stuff here in town uh and even a little bit outside of town so um, without further ado, we're bringing it back to one of my good friends, uh, Mr. Trevor, or T. Scove, right? <laughs> yeah. How you doing, bud? Good. How are you? Uh, can you tell anybody that might be listening a little bit about who you are or like what you do or kind of what you're doing in life right now, man? Yeah. Um, well, if you recognize who I am, it's probably because you saw me down at Copper Spoon or Wine Down back in the day. Uh, and then now you might know me as just a bartender from Sidecar um, at Copper Spoon or the Ice Guy. Uh, or the whiskey guy, or just kind of that big guy, uh, as they call me. The big yeah. guy behind the, the bar? Big, yeah, that big guy behind the bar. <laughs> How long you been at uh, Copper Spoon, or formerly known as Wine Down? Uh, this will be uh, five years now uh, that I, I walked in there for the first time. Really? Yep. Has it gone by pretty quick then? Yeah. Dude, <laughs> you've grown a lot. Yeah, it, uh, I was 24 when I first walked in the door, so now 29. Uh, it just feels like it's been a really crazy five years. Uh, it doesn't feel like it's been five years, but you look back to some of the stuff that we used to be doing and I don't know, you try not to be ashamed of it or embarrassed by it and just be proud of where you're at now. So a, a lot of people might know or they might not know. Um, I know obviously from talking to you, uh, you didn't always work in this kind of an industry. You didn't, Mm-mm. you didn't necessarily do the fancy cocktails or, you know, pouring flames from <laughs> high above into a cup. Uh, where were you before? Um, I mean, primarily I was an engineer. I did what you're, you know, I guess supposed to do to make mom and dad proud, go to college and get a, a degree with a good paying job. Um, and, you know, work a Monday through Friday, eight to five and such as that, buy a boat and a house and, and sell it all and have kids and whatever. Uh, and while going to college uh, and starting to get in the IT world and I still, I always had this, I guess, sight dream of opening a bar. Uh, a friend of mine wanted to open a video game bar. We thought that was going to be all the fad. And this is actually before, like, even, like, 16-bit in places had opened. And um, I remember he was going to try and get a loan from his parents uh, or his grandparents. And they said, well, you never worked in a bar, so we would love it if you maybe went and got a job at a bar first. And I remember thinking, God, that's stupid. Like, you don't have to work in a bar before you can own a bar. That's ridiculous, whatever. Uh, and then... Um, Things happened, uh, and I guess if we really even just say it, I was wanted to move to New York and try to be an actor. So I needed a bartending job in order to do that. So I got a bartending job and then learned how much I didn't know about restaurants uh, and how being behind a bar was so different. Uh, and it felt really, really good. You know, a Friday night at nine o'clock with a busy bar, it felt better than it ever did behind a desk or in, in a lab. Um, and I started looking forward to that more and more and more. Uh, <clears throat> comedy and acting slowly faded away and became less of a tangible uh, avenue or dream. And then getting off work Friday at five, everyone else was excited to go home and I was excited to just get behind a bar. And even at that time I was pouring you know, Fireball and Bud Light and uh, doing you know $5 Long Island specials. <laughs> uh, but uh, with enough time, it, it eventually grew into, into what it is now. Yeah. Uh, isn't it crazy? I mean, this is something that I've been reflecting on over the last few years. You, you grow up and you're thinking, oh, I got to do this. I got to get this job. I got to get that job. How much of that is, you know, 
put on you by other people. Oh, you for know, sure. You think you look at culture and you're kind of like, oh man, I need to get that engineering job <laughs> or oh, if I want to make banger bucks, you know, I got to get that degree. But a lot of it is you just got to find like what you're doing and what you're loving and what fulfills you. Like you're saying the desk, the lab, it didn't matter what project you're working on. Right. Mm-hmm. But once you get behind that bar, it's a totally, totally different story. Yeah. Was yeah. It, it's uh, I guess you assume growing up that it's the security that maybe it is that your parents want for you or just that I think everyone seeks for, you know, kind of knowing where money's coming from and knowing you've got this, you've got it. But I guess as a kid, all the people you idolized really didn't do that. You know, they eventually at some point went and chased what they wanted. And as cliche as it sounds, uh, when you find it, if you, I mean, if you can do it, do it. Like, yeah, you know, you, they say if you, whatever, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that's that's not true. You'll, you should, you'll work really, really hard and probably make less money than what the easy way out was. But uh, at least you'll be, you'll be truly happy doing it. You well, know? I think uh, we were also talking before your dad had said something kind of wise about that, right? Like. If you'll, yeah. you'll always work or what was it um if you don't just think that you won't work you really got to imagine yourself getting off of whatever job you have uh after working like a hundred hours that week and starting to relax at home and then if your phone rings and it's work and they want you to come back find a job that you'd have that you'd answer that phone call and, and that's a job you'll never feel like you're working yeah i mean that's hard to find but it is kind of cool though that we're starting to see a culture shift of Mm -hmm. hey maybe college not isn't for you you know maybe you should take a gap year maybe you should try different things uh maybe you should start working at a bar on the side (laughs) you know and then you'll actually find what's going to be good i think even into the like the software world i had a pretty good friend of mine that was most of the way through his Purdue uh, computer science degree. And he had been, I mean, he started learning to code when he was 12, 13 years old. And that was even in, you know, the early aughts of 2000 uh, before Khan Academy and Code Academy had really taken off. And even nowadays with all those tools, like what makes you a good software engineer is not a degree. It's it's the knowledge behind it. Uh, and the, the institution is standardized for sure. But mm-hmm. so many people that can kind of take control of, of their path and just kind of make it that guy ended up dropping out uh, of college and his professor was like, well, like good luck ever walking on to, you know, Intel or AMD or wherever you thought you could work like you're not. I mean, without having a degree, they're not even going to look at your application. But in his eyes, he's like, I've been coding longer than most of these guys have been in college and I can do this. He owns a, a keyboard company now that's like re- doing ridiculously well. He just... Isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> that's nuts. Yeah. People that are determined are going to do it no matter what the path is really. Yeah. Would you, would you say, I mean, I feel like you're a slightly determined dude. I mean, you started a business on the side with the ice stuff and uh, coming from a background of what, like zero bartending to volume bartending to now. Uh, some people know you're what, top 15 in 2018 mm-hmm. in the United States yeah. as a bartender. Uh, would you say you're slightly a determined individual? Yeah, very. Yeah. Yeah, intense. Um, how much of your engineering background plays into learning some of these new things? Because it's not easy as you get older to learn new and new, newer For things. Sure. YouTube makes it great, mm-hmm. uh, but you can't YouTube everything, especially no. in the creative space. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's definitely being able to break apart what you're doing step by step and kind of visualize it. I think as an engineer, you're, you maybe you got into engineering first because of who you were. Engineering, I think, doesn't typically teach that person methodical processes or, or wanting to look at something and figure out all its moving parts or dissect something. I think that's kind of the person already has that. And most people apply like, oh, well, you should be an engineer. Uh, but Or you could actually 
maybe you could make a lot of cocktails uh, in really quick succession. Did you get a lot? Of, <laughs> did you get a lot of pushback once you started kind of getting more into working with wine down and whatnot? I mean, whether yeah. it's from family or for sure from family. Uh, I mean, the the age old I guess joke in the industry is people always ask you like, "What's your real job?" or "What what do you what do you really do for a living?" Because uh, you can't possibly you know be doing this. But I get it. I think. Um, it's hard to tell any family member that, you know, hey, that degree you might have helped pay me for, I'm actually going to pour booze all night <laughs> and uh, and sleep all day, uh, at least what they're going to see, you know, but even if that is what it is you're going to do, if you're happy doing it and it pays your bills, then Yeah, I mean, not? you can't live for other people's expectations, right? For sure, yeah. And that's just a dangerous road to go down and too <laughs> yeah. many people go down it. And I mean, there's a, a lot of people now, I think, are realizing they should have taken a leap earlier, mm -hmm. uh, like when they were our age. Um, they should have done something a little bit risky and now they're stuck. You know, they've gone down the road and, you know, had the kids, bought the house. Not that having kids is bad. It's a great no, thing. For sure. But like you go down that road too far and you don't take that inner self-assessment mm -hmm. and it's like, oh shoot, what I'm doing. And then you wind up being on the other side of the bar too many times, Yeah, you know, or whatever it is. Finding yeah, sure. happiness in places that aren't necessarily the best place to find happiness. Right. Yeah. You turn out when you're, you thought that going the standard route of life was just what was going to, what was going to happen. And you realized, oh, this wasn't for me. Uh Oh, yeah. I'm 40. So do your, does your family still live here? Yep. Does your family support you now? Yeah. 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 Both of my parents are, are sober, uh, about like what? six or seven years. Yeah. No, you're joking. Uh, -uh. they're sober and you're a bartender. Yep. Are you the only, um, like bartender? No. Are you the only kid? Oh, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm an only child. I do have step siblings now. Okay. Um, but yep. Only child and, and both uh, both sides are, are sober. Completely. Like mm -hmm. not an ounce. Not an ounce. And how many years have they been sober? Uh, I think my dad's going to be 10 years this year. Jeez. Yeah. That's impressive. A, for him. That's for a phenomenal sure. yeah, thing. Uh, what does that mean for you on a regular basis? Like you got family on both sides that are sober. They don't even touch alcohol. Yeah. Here you are touching it every day. <laughs> yeah. Making a living with it. I think that was the hard part maybe as a buy-in at first for them because they see the, they obviously know the, uh, the dangers of the alcohol, uh, world and what it can become. And I think for me being exposed to that when I was younger is kind of actually what aided to enjoying the idea of bartending. I wasn't sold on this a day, a day of drinking yet. Uh, and so when I first started like going to parties, um, and, and I was younger and I wasn't sold yet. I was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to drink cause I've seen, you know, it's, it can be kind of dangerous maybe. Uh, so I would just kind of hang back and end up dangerous. Being, how, uh, you just, you know, parting too hard and, and what it can do and just seeing that on a personal level. So I ended up just kind of hanging back and people would stumble into the kitchen wherever alcohol is at a party and and, uh, and I would just be like, oh, I'll, I'll make you something, why not, you know? And then it'd be like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then learning like, oh, girls, kind of like a guy that can make some good shots <laughs> doing uh, it for the ladies and then like okay now i'm now i understand this feeling of like facilitating a party and not just being the party and it feels kind of cool uh and, and and kind of pushing with that so i want to touch on that in a minute because mm -hmm. you, you said uh facilitating the party and i feel mm -hmm. like that's a lot of what bartenders do yeah uh specifically you at copper spoon and mm -hmm. um your whole team uh but let's rewind it a little bit your parents are sober mm -hmm. you bartend quite a bit yeah do you ever find it hard to just be able to relate and say no oh, i made this drink it tasted like this or do you wind up making them mocktails i, um, I know i do appreciate that your guys's menu the very first page mm -hmm. is a page of mocktails yeah like i, I just think that's cool for sure you know? uh i mean yeah the spirit free side of the industry is expanding and i think knowing that it doesn't have to be um it doesn't have to be all about you know the the buzz or the the feeling of, of just the, sometimes creating flavors is really fun. Um, 
on the family side, they, they come in now. I mean, they'll, they'll come in and enjoy the food. We've got a great chef, so they'll be able to come in and see the environment. Um, and the drinks part of it, I think that they appreciate the creativity and understand that there's an art to it. But yeah, it's something where the stories of that I can't sit and talk about, like this cocktail, I was really excited to finally come up with because, you know, yeah, it's not that important though. But the business side of it, they can appreciate. That's good. And then also being able to make I think you said make flavors um, that don't necessarily involve alcohol. Yeah, uh, we can touch on it now. Actually, being a facilitator of the party, not necessarily just a host or an attendee. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you say that's mostly your role as a bartender, uh, yeah. whether it's an alcoholic drink or a non-alcoholic drink that you're making, uh, or even just interacting with people across the bar? Would you say you're more of a party facilitator? Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all being all about. You know, you wouldn't if you go to someone's house party and the host ends up just drunk first and face down in the bathroom. That's never a, a good party. It feels kind of weird. Uh, and I think the same thing would go being at a bar. Uh, I think sometimes people have been in, been in a bar, maybe where the bartender's drunk and it, it's awkward. Um, and it can be easy to being behind the bar and, and taking the hype of all the fun and everyone's looking at you and you're having a good time and engaging and letting that get to you a bit and you end up drinking a little too much behind the bar and it gets, it gets weird. So instead, you you recognize your role as the person that's you're not supposed to be the party. Your goal first is to um, focus on how you're making people feel, and and with that is, is creating a safe environment. So you're paying attention to everything, whether someone you know. I explained it to this 21 year old kid, probably not to I guess uh, <laughs> uh, um, whatever uh, stereotype him, but he's more than likely 21. And he came into Miracle one night recently, and he was just absolutely faded, and he was just bouncing around, jumping up and down, making a fool of himself. And it was taken away from everyone else's ability to have fun. And I think cutting people off is an art form just as much as, as serving people. Because uh, you have to do it in a way that's not confrontational. You have to do it in a way that's not offensive. It happens. It should have, being cut off should be, it should probably happen more often, but I think it's it's been turned into this really dark, scary thing to do. Um, and so people tend to get overserved. but um I remember just telling the kid and like over, I was like, Hey, I was like, so this party is this, this event this tonight is for everyone in the room, not just you. So like, but you making the party so much about yourself right now is taken away from everyone else's ability to have fun. And I think he really understood it. And someone else next to him, who was an older dude, probably 50 was just really taken back by that. And was like, that's a really killer way to explain like being drunk at a bar. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I've never heard it, you know, explained like in such a way, but it's true. And as a bartender, you have to, yeah, you facilitate that party. You're paying attention to uh, making sure uh, if this girl is on a first date, if that guy's getting too creepy and she needs maybe an, an out, or if someone else at the end of the bar is drinking a little bit too much or, um, or just what's the vibe of the area, the lights need to go down, there's music need to get louder. So there's uh, a lot of people skills that you just got to develop yeah, over time sure. and have and being able to read. And yeah, and some of that's going to be natural. Uh, and it's, you know, knowing what everyone is coming to your bar to do, this person's looking for a job, this person's looking to meet somebody, this person's looking to get laid, whatever it is, but how do you kind of put those moving parts together and, and create like a cohesive environment for everybody? Would you say that's something you've learned over time? Like, yeah. did you have it right when you started or not at all? No. What's uh, one of the times you really beefed that up bad? Um, I guess it was really just noticing from other bartenders that I was working with being like, Hey, like the light should be down right now or hey like the music sucks and it was bartenders that had worked even at you know tgi apple chilies corporate places for a long time uh but even they were picking up on this at like seven o'clock on a friday they are recognizing that hey the party's not really going you know like the music's a little quiet or the music's too slow or the lights are too bright and it was me catching on being like oh oh yeah okay i should do that and, um there's a short stand i worked at jk o'donnell's 
here in town. And, really? With like Willis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and I remember them, like they had the light switches for the environment. It was all behind the bar. Yeah. And I remember that being such a big focus for, for Bowser or Willis. Like they would turn the lights down uh, always like around 6, 30, 7 o'clock. And it's just something that I started noticing that I had to pay attention to. It wasn't just about standing there and pouring up beer when it came through and getting a tip and leaving. Uh, that's really dry and boring. And who would want that to be their right. job? Uh, when you start paying attention to every dynamic in the entire room, that's when you really start creating uh, a party or an environment for people to have fun. Is that something you're constantly doing? Even if you have friends that come into the bar and you're talking, you're looking over their shoulder, making sure people are having a good time. And Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They call it, uh, I mean, heads up bartending is, is key because when you're shaking a drink, it's a moment to scan the room. Yeah. It's a moment to, to kind of check on everything that's going on. Make sure it's all good. Always having a pulse on kind of everything that's going on around you. How much uh, of this bartending thing do you think people could learn in a classroom? So say they go get, you know, take a couple classes on how to shake a cocktail, um, they get licensed, right? Mm -hmm. uh, versus how much do you actually need to be there doing it, uh, working underneath somebody? I know, I mean, you can relate back in the engineering field, sure. everybody comes out of school and they think they're yeah. hot stuff, right? Uh -huh. uh, but I think only time will tell you, yeah, it, it pays to sit underneath some wisdom for a little while. For sure, yeah. Even using an engineering aspect from it. Um, I remember the guy that owned the engineering firm I worked for, he had like a, like a double PhD in electrical and mechanical or something, just ridiculous amount of education underneath him. And he was probably 70 years old. And I remember him putting me on this project and I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea what the parameters were. I'd never worked in automotive and, and instrument clusters. And uh, I told him like, hey, I, I don't think I can do this project. And he said, well, as an engineer, I don't pay you to know how to do everything. I pay you to know how to learn and teach yourself and uh it's it's very true like you can go um my dad tells me a story he's a computer science major uh he does software so you can see that it goes more <laughs> with the trajectory there yep. of what he wanted yep. no nope. um, uh, same way man my dad worked at uh, my dad worked at nasa in florida and oh, all really? growing up okay. like he never wound up going to college and all growing up he's like you're gonna go to college you're gonna study this <laughs> you're gonna go to college you're gonna study this yeah and then i mean look at me now so i definitely became a, a, a nerd uh definitely on the computer end because i was into it and i understood it at a young age uh you know understood it more than most 30 year olds by the time i was 12 understood computers but I remember my dad uh, interviewing for this job to do software and some like fresh grad was doing the interview and basically was trying to get my dad to like reiterate code and reiterate rules on a board. And my dad having done engineering for like 30 years is in his head just kind of chuckling because this is just some fresh out of high school grad who wants to brag that he can just write C++ on a whiteboard. That doesn't matter. And uh, my dad walking away from the interview, not wanting the job anymore, because if they're going to put, you know, experienced engineer in the room with someone young who wants to just brag or feel big, uh, that's not really what the job is. And going back to even what uh, my boss had told me that you're not paid to know everything. You're paid to know how to figure it out. And I think with bartending, that's such a big buy in that people in the industry would want you to have, you know, oh, how he hasn't been working that long. You know, how can, how can someone really know what they're doing if they've only been behind the bar for a year? Uh, but I, I think it's probably a 50 50 blend um, of the, the person themselves and who they are. If they kind of naturally have it or if they don't and they're just trying to force it. Hmm. Um, and it's, you know. When did, when did you realize that you, and I'm saying this because you obviously have received some awards nationally, um, even locally, you're kind of recognized. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you start realizing that you had a knack for it, that you were naturally inclined to? Uh, I, I still don't think I do. Uh, maybe that's part of it. This is just still wanting to get better, still 
people watch bartenders to try to watch how they make a drink and learn, but you also have to watch, I think, how a bartender interacts with their guests and, and learn from that as well. Right, right. Uh, and reading the moment. Um, reading people. Some people don't want to be educated over every detail of the moment. They just want to get something. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to take the time to explain to them what gluten-free vodka means. You just get them what they want and just move on. You know, What, read what does room. it mean? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it means they paid extra to have it labeled that way. That's fair. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think if you go to the classroom idea i think you can teach a lot of mechanics you know you can teach someone how to make a negroni how to to stir a cocktail that's all just physical dexterity and that's most part can be taught um but sometimes you can't teach someone how to read a room you can't teach someone how to be charismatic you can't teach someone how to make a bar feel comfortable would you say Uh, your team does a good job of that i would say that we do a good job of it because we're constantly working on being better at it Um, is that like your life motto or yeah, be better, yeah, be better. Yep. Why? Um, cause I just think that being better fits in so many different ways. Um, you I'll be better by doing good, whether it's doing good to others or doing good yourself. Um, but just in every aspect of your life, you can be better, be better, be a better friend, be a better partner, be better at work, be better in every way. I guess, trying to take everything down to this uh, idea of motivation or integrity of do you know that it could be better than what you're doing and are you just kind of cutting out because you don't want to put forth the effort or do you know that you could be better and you just don't believe that you can and removing those roadblocks and just doing it. Uh, you mentioned even being at home partner. Uh, mm-hmm. Bartending is an interesting career, right? You're, yeah, for sure. You're not home during the day. Yeah. Most jobs are during the day. Mm-hmm. You're out late. You know, you're around booze. Yep. You're getting home probably what three, four o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what is that like on a personal side of things? Uh, I mean, it, it's tough. You know, the uh, dating world as a bartender can be can be tough. Tough. Um, I've been lucky to find uh, someone who shares a little part of that industry with me. Uh, she's in school uh, and has more. Just, she's busier than I am. My 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 girlfriend. So it's hard to totally correlate. Um, Plus one for T Scove over here. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, it just takes really committed people to understanding that if the other person's schedule is going to be hectic and weird, uh, that's okay. I always joke that if I was like a third shift ER doctor, this wouldn't be an issue. So what's the, <laughs> what's the difference between being a, a third shift bartender? Um, but when you're, you know, like anything, schedules can suck and schedules can be hard. Uh, and working late nights, uh, especially being around booze, uh, you can get caught up in that side of the industry if you if you want to. But I think if you're committed to, you know, just being at home or, or making home is, life. Is, is that a thing? Important. I mean, I feel like it's assumed. I don't know if uh, it's actually a thing, you know, bartenders and then they get off and it's like, well, I'm going to go down a bottle of old Forester or, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think, um, it's an, it's a choice, uh, bartending for, for what it was for a long time was viewed as, you know, you get off work at three and you go share a bottle on sitting on someone's porch until seven or eight in the morning and sleep until two and go back in at four or five and just rinse and repeat for hopefully not 20 years. Uh, because then you, you suddenly life has passed you and you're like, oh, no, this isn't good. I'm 40 and I'm doing, I haven't gotten better at anything. I haven't, you know, right. becoming a, get a, an actual, if we want to make bartending look more or the hospitality industry in general, the idea is to sell it as, you know, in 20 years when a kid 
this 18, 19, 21, 25, 30 year old decides, you know, I, I'm going to be a bartender. People aren't like, oh, <laughs> they're <laughs> change like, the oh, perception. Cool. Yeah. You got to change the perception on that in general and hospitality. The reason would you say there's a career in in uh, bartending yeah, in particular? What would that career look like for somebody? Whatever they want to make it as. Um, it's that flexible. Yeah, for sure. You know, you could find there are people I know that that do travel and bartending. You know, they really that's a thing. Take this this nomad perspective to it of you know I'm going to work summers and or winters. I'm going to work in Puerto Rico and summers. I'm going to go to Miami, and then I'm going to go and just travel. Um, wow. You know, bartenders are needed everywhere bartending is something you know that the human element of that can be is a walk-on gig so mm-hmm. if you go to australia and go on a bar you can do it yeah. uh, obviously language barriers can be tough uh depending on where you go but there are a lot of bartending can make you very well traveled and you know that can be a thing you know i will say the bartenders in particular always seem to be the easiest to relate uh, when my wife and i were traveling one of the places we stopped at was ibiza mm-hmm. and uh, i remember we were being served by the waiter and then eventually it was just the bartender that came and served. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of everything, he brought around, it was like some type of homemade cultural mm-hmm. just shot uh, for the entire table. And we'd met some friends along the way and uh, he was there enjoying with mm-hmm. us, but it, it almost made us feel like, almost like we were at home, you know? Yeah. And so it was, it was just a unique thing that I think it transverses uh, language, yeah. you know? It doesn't uh, matter what language you speak. I mean, you're, you're pulling a patron, Anthony Bourdain, at that point, what he always would do is, you know, you go to another culture, another city, and you meet industry workers, meet people that are in hospitality, and uh, you just you try because it's a, it's immediate shoe into the culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go to a law firm and you go to someone's desk and you're like, can I hang out with you after work? They're going to be like, no, <laughs> leave me alone. Right. Um, but if you go to a bar and you tell me from out of town, you just want to get to know, you know, something people are like, okay, like I'll show you, I'll show you this. Go city. here, go there. You know, and, and then suddenly you've, you've unlocked the key to the city and <clears throat> you're meeting the, the true identity of, of what the, at least the, the nighttime pulse is like. And, right. and you'll learn about, you learn about this random place you can get breakfast at that has no press whatsoever, but it's, but it's like you know, freaking amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, it's $2 for a sandwich, which is the best one you'll ever get. <laughs> right. Things like that. Um, so let's go back into you as a bartender in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that, would you say it's fair to say that bartending's opened a lot of doors for you? Yeah. Um, both locally, nationally, internationally. Yeah. I think you just went to Europe yep. and kind of toured some bars. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably had the same experience. You know, the bartender yeah. tells you where everything's at. For sure. Was that cool to go see? Is that cool for you to go see? Yeah. Yeah, very. What's cool about it? I mean, I feel like it, on some level, when you look at somebody else's craft that does the same thing that you do, mm-hmm. uh, you analyze it. So yeah. if it's a, a coach, you know, they might look at another coach and they're analyzing playbooks or coaching methodologies. Sure. Um, if it's a creative, they're analyzing, you know, how many views they got, how many likes they got, uh, or they're breaking it down technically. They did this wrong. They did that wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also the level where it's like, man, that's just really cool. Like, uh, right. that's awesome. Like, where do you do some of that? Do you do all of that? Yeah. Um, it depends on, I guess, on where you're going. Um, when I when I travel, there's usually a list of places that I have to go to. I'm getting ready to go to New York in a week, uh, and in the first five days of that is spent uh, educational. But then that weekend, Abby is coming out, my girlfriend, and I'll get to show her New York for the first time. And then there's all these bars that bars and restaurants that I've been just dying to go to because every time you go to New York, there's not enough time. I mean, you could spend. Yeah forever trying to find all these places um and there is like a a validation or award system you know globally of 
best bars or best international cocktail bar. There's people that have, you know, gone higher and done so much that have, have won world class and, and maybe they have a bar and you want to go check it out. Uh, or people that have just continually been beverage director of programs that are at the top of that, you know, top five, top 10 list of best bars in the world. And so you want to go enjoy their food or enjoy their, their, their cocktails. Um, and there's probably a lot of starstruck, like just, you know, fandom walking in. When I got to walk into the, the American bar, the Savoy, we're talking about the uh, oldest operating European cocktail bar. Oh, like wow. They opened in like 1914. Uh, and, you know, Prohibition really, really pushed it forward. Yeah. Um, don't quote me on 1914. I know if you looked that up, I could be wrong. But <laughs> it was around that time. I put a little asterisk with the right yeah. date there. Uh, but to walk in there and been like, oh, my God, like I'm finally here. You know, Instagram and, and YouTube and just all the you could watch from afar only so much. And then mm. when you're there, um, it's really, really cool. And there's definitely this feeling of like, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not even focusing on judging them because what, who am I to take, you know, this, anything away from who they are. Do you ever do that though? You walk into a bar, you're on vacation, whatever, and you judge how they're making a drink. I mean, for sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's inevitable. Um, there are bars you go into with really big high hopes and then you let down. Um, in Europe, I didn't have that. I have that more in America, I guess, more than I have that. Um, but that's a whole other subject about getting into, you know, where does where do the awards come from in America and big cities versus versus small markets? And what do you mean? Uh, well, just because so like we're in Fort Wayne, you know, and there's I would kill for Copper Spoon to get recognition for being a good cocktail bar that I know it is, but it won't happen because. There's too much, I think, money in bigger markets uh, to allow a smaller market to win because it just it doesn't work that way. Do you think you would ever move to a bigger market? Uh, I had the opportunity, um, and one day, sure. But for now, I'm definitely invested in Fort Wayne, making it what it is. I think in order for a small market to ever get its jump to be something bigger, you have to have people that are committed to staying because anyone could always just leave. Um, mm -hmm. But I know that what we're doing is as good as some of these bars uh nationwide you know mm -hmm. and, and and to know that is important enough you know it's a, you have to ask yourself do you really need uh your name you know on a, some small glass plate in order to have validation or do you yourself just know like we're doing we're doing good and that's all that matters you know? so so does that mean you don't value the fact that you're in world class that you were that's you know? different i guess because that's more on a that's a more, I guess, um, I guess they, as they call it, the Olympics of bartending. That's yeah. definitely more on a, uh, a how do I say this? Um, people from small markets win competitions. Yeah. And that's okay. That happens. Yeah. And that's good. Bars and small markets don't win awards, though. Okay. I see and what you're saying. That's the, as an aggregate scale, as a bar, it's, it's really hard to get your bar on that list. Yeah. You can work really, really hard. Um, but then you have to ask yourself that what's really important. You know, is it, uh, those bars aren't going to keep those lists. More bars on those lists have closed than than you can count. Mm. You know, and, and that win awards, and the next year they're closed. Um, so it's what is it that really makes your bar good? Is it's, it's the people and, and how again how people are feeling when they're leaving. That's what's important. So you keep coming back to um, you got to make people feel good. You know, they come into the bar, mm -hmm. read what they're wanting. You know, do they yeah. want to uh, just have a good time? Are they on a business meeting? Right. Whatever. Uh, would you say that that's a important aspect to life in general? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> even you need to go back to to be better at that point and and recognize that uh, you want everyone to be better. 
And so by treating people good and by making people feel good in whatever interaction you're coming across them, and that's the way to do it. So then how do you deal with, uh, I mean, there's been some people on, whether it's online, Yelp, Instagram, whatever, um, people have said copper spoon, bartender there, sidecar, right? Uh, drinks are too strong. Sure. You're not going to please everybody, um, which is fine. Not everything in this world is meant for everybody, and that's okay. Some people come to it with a sense of entitlement that, you know, everything, I should be able to go somewhere and get everything I want or anything I'm looking for should be available for me. Um, and sometimes it's not, and people get really upset. And, you know, they want to take it to their, uh, their take it to Yelp, take it to a review, and that's fine. That's their, that's their ability to do it. Uh, to me, I, I try not to care about it too much because, um, you, I mean, you can't, you can't win over the, the one-star reviews every one at a time. Mm-hmm. People can, you know, it depends if they're, if they're valued or not. If it's a valuable review, someone mm-hmm. said that their server was, uh, I don't know, uh, doing something they're not supposed to be doing. And it's like very, very probably obvious or something like oh, the place is really messy and it was messy. I'm like, that's a problem. You should look into it. But if they're saying something that, you know, like, ah, oh, it's overpriced, but is it, you know, that's there's only so much you could do for that. Maybe that they just were misconceived on the value or maybe mm-hmm. at the same, you could take that and recognize that your staff saying, okay, how are we propositioning? Is the server just walking up and being like, Hey, you should get this $50 feature and not even talking about like, well, actually, if you're wanting to get a beer and like a small plate, you can get in and out of here for 20 bucks and it's not bad. Mm-hmm. Or people are, are just blind to it. Or people have only ever been to cheesecake factory where the menu is, you know, nine pages long and there's 300 items and <laughs> you can get anything. Right. And they're frustrated that the small local place doesn't do the same thing. Uh, our drinks are definitely strong, and that's to me like pertains to its value. Uh, but in what in what way? Like, is it being made the way that it should be made? Right. Is it getting your money's worth? Uh, it's funny. Uh, we were just talking about this at the bar the other day because uh, one of the bartenders went on a small trip with family up to a, a distillery um, in Indiana, and he ordered a Sazerac from the bar. A pretty normal classic cocktail old-fashioned style drink and uh the bartender goes to make it and the ice the bar was using was not very good uh the ice for the production not even the ice that the drink goes on so not even talking about ice that i make or sell i'm talking about there are ice machines that make it and we've invested to make sure we have them um but if you know that you don't have the right tools to make a drink then you should adjust your techniques to know what you're trying to make just like if um if you have a stovetop that won't get very hot and you want to make a steak, you just figure out how to get it hotter. Mm-hmm. So if you have ice that will over dilute your drink way too quick, then you have to figure out how to go around that. Then mm-hmm. you can't just be like, well, too bad. Sorry. Steak says it has to cook for five minutes. If it's still rare, my not, not my problem. Like, nope. If you don't have the right ice to make a, a proper stirred cocktail, then what, what can you do? Can you pre-make it, pre-dilute it and chill it? So it's at the temperature and take ice out of the question. What, what can you do? And it's mm-hmm. a desire to want to make it that good. That has to exist. Um, and long story short, I mean, the Sazerac was probably 60% water by the time it, it hit um, really? the bartender. Yeah, so wow. they put it, but 
they charge like $13 for it, which is like a pretty, I get a little above average price in Indiana for a Sazerac. Um, and I'm sure though, because it was so watery, it was so easily drinkable. Mm-hmm. To me, I would taste it and be like, this tastes like water. This is not worth it. Send this drink back. Mm. I wouldn't because I'm too nice and, and afraid. You wouldn't send a drink back? No, I, I don't do that. Why not? Because <laughs> I don't want people to perceive me as an asshole. Is that common? So if like I, as a customer, were to come in mm-hmm. and send a drink back because it tastes like water, am I immediately an asshole? No, because you don't bartend. So you're allowed to do Fair that. Enough. To me, I don't want to go somewhere and, you know, I've heard that when I go into a place, people get nervous. Uh, and I I am so easygoing about stuff where... Is that, I, just, is that just because people recognize you from world class? Uh, whatever it is, yeah. Something mm-hmm. in some way. Uh, I don't get me wrong. People come in and I get really excited to make them a drink and I don't want to mess it up. Mm. But I want their honest feedback. Uh, and I've, I guess sometimes you have to earn the right to get an honest feedback. Yeah. Um, some people are just going to be like, no, it's fine. You know, but in reality in their head, they're like, oh, I'm just not going to come back or like I'm going to get beer next time or mm. uh, you just need to, you have to get better in order for me to tell you how bad you really were. Mm. Uh, you have to, that buy in with it, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, I guess we talk about the strength of drinks and the, the value of them. You know, this $13 Sazerac being mostly water, I'm sure some people that don't drink Sazeracs or that would be like, ah, I don't really like them. And they try that and be like, oh, that's good. But it's good because it's mostly watered. So maybe actually what you don't like is you don't like it just a, like super booze forward cocktails. Mm. Um, but now that bar's going to get by with selling to me like a super undervalued. So uh, it's, some of it's just education then yeah, is what you're saying. Sure. You know, people have had sports bar drinks or sports bar cocktails their whole life and then they come into a place and right. now they're having something that's crafted yeah um seafood is 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 similar i guess in that nature uh where you can go get like really poorly made sushi that's like mostly imitation or mostly <laughs> like there's no actual fish in it at all it's mostly like, rice and avocado imitation crab. yeah and people try and be like oh wow like this is good i normally hate sushi but I'm it's a really sushi good connoisseur. yeah exactly but then you go try the real stuff and you're like well that's gross and you're like well the reason you're saying it's gross is because it tastes like what it's supposed to right <laughs> and that's not that's not the person's not, fault yeah. you just don't know what you're buying right you've just been you've been gypped and now, you know, we have to educate you to this another level. So in terms of educating to another level, um, you mentioned Instagram's a great tool for like seeing inside a bar. Do you think Instagram's helped educate uh, or social media has helped educate people? Yes, people that people that want to, you know, some people don't. Mm-hmm. Some people, ignorance is bliss at the end of the day, I think. <laughs> uh, if you can allow yourself to let the, you know, mystique of a bar or restaurant just kind of create delicious things, then that's gonna be the easiest. Uh, but some, you know, people love really getting into it and love taking the home aspect of it. Like people all the time are like, I tried to make your old fashioned at home and I, you know, I did this and this and this. Is that's, that a compliment really for neat. you? Uh, I guess you could take it that way. I, I think it's, I think it's neat that people get ex- that excited about it for sure. Yeah. I wouldn't necessarily want to take it as a compliment to myself. Yeah. Uh, I think it's neat that people just want to take it now to, to trying to recreate things at home. It's, it's really that, fascinating. Does that ever worry you that people are going to start just making their drinks at home and never come out to the bar? Nah. Why not? Because when you go to a bar, uh, if, if people are only coming to your bar for the cocktail, then you've done it wrong. Really? Yeah. Um, I think you said at one point, if people were only coming for the taste of the drink, then the machine's going to beat you every yep, time. You robots are going to win eventually, yeah. right? They're always going to win. So yeah, if the robot will eventually. They're not right now. I mean, I, I keep up on Boston Dynamics to make sure, but uh, they're, they're still not. <laughs> they haven't come good. up with the thumbs. Yeah, I think. I mean, this Christmas there's finally like a a uh, 
like a Keurig esque cocktail machine that really? was sold. Yeah, really. I think I saw a few of them pop up on Facebook. What? It was like they're like two hundred something bucks, and you you have to load in your own spirits. You load in vodka, but you can put a Cosmo packet in, press a button, and a, a Cosmo packet? will come out. Yep. Is it, you know the way that technology goes. Sometimes, <laughs> have you ever seen? Uh, the movie Wally, mm -hmm. and like you finally get to see the humans. They're right. all in these robot chairs, yeah. and everything's a smoothie. <laughs> yeah, like that's what we're headed towards. Know. You know, <laughs> it's crazy, it's ridiculous. Nobody wants to do anything for themselves. <laughs> then they finally crash land. And it's like this is walking. I know yeah. how to walk. <laughs> no, it's it's very much like you talk about wanting to get people making drinks at home or people trying to learn how to do it. But then now this little insert a packet and add your vodka and boop, it does it for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure there's something to be said, just like a chef would probably talk about, you know, instant things and, mm -hmm. and whatever. Um, but yeah, if, if you're only doing the bar thing because you want people's, if it's only for the drink, uh, then I think you're doing it wrong because there are a lot of bartenders I love to go see just simply because they're human element that they bring to it. Mm -hmm. I really don't care uh, too much. I mean, their drink making skills. Mm -hmm. Admittedly, they hate making cocktails. Of love. <laughs> they, they hate the aspect of it. They're not dexterous. They're not here to do it. But the way they are as a bartender is, right. is really, really great, really admirable. I think that because you can run circles around young mixologists with uh, leather aprons and, and waxy mustaches mm -hmm. uh, because they, they know how to actually talk to people. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good element. Uh, and I, having lived here for almost 10 years now in you know the midwest mm -hmm. uh from dc originally it, it's been cool to kind of see things trend towards that uh you go to a bar for an experience with friends uh, sure. you don't just go to a sports bar to watch the football game and yeah. you know booze up for sure so it's, it's been really cool and i think you've been a part of that uh whether you want to admit it to yourself or not <laughs> uh it's a big deal um and I, th I think it's cool that you're leading a team that does that it's it's phenomenal it's well, awesome you. yeah no, it definitely means a lot um I think it, it goes a step further too, even when people look into what they're drinking. Um, one of my mentors told me a long time ago uh, when we were talking about getting people to maybe drink more adventurously and how, how do we, and we as the bartenders in general, get people to do that. Um, and you have to do that with buying and with trust. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's a certain give and take with that. Some people, uh, if, if someone ate chicken fingers uh, or, or just mac and cheese for every meal, every day of their entire life, people would be like, hey, that's weird. Like, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. um, but people that drink uh, Captain and Diet, every bar they go to, every time they get a drink, everywhere they're in life, people really don't blink an eye. And it's not really an issue um, because if that's what that person wants when they drink, I guess that's it. But I guess it's trying to, to split the element that you're not going out to bars because you want to drink a certain product because it's going to be cheaper and easier for you to have just bought a bottle and go home and do it. You're going out because you want fun, whether it's with friends that you're with or you're wanting an environment. And sometimes that means drinking something a little different than what you might be used to. Mm. Or you should be more advantageous to like, I drink this at home, but I'm going out and I'm going to see like, what, what can this person make me? But as mm. bartenders in this at the bar, we have to equally be accommodating. Mm -hmm. um, for a while there and it's way past it. That was even before my time in New York when uh, bars would just not carry vodka because they were just, you know, nope, I'm not going to carry vodka. Really? We're not going to make Cosmos. I'm really? tired of it. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it was trying to force people, people would order a vodka soda and you hear the bartender be like, ugh, no. But now that world is 
thankfully they kind of changed and got away with vodka is becoming cool again. I think it mainly because a lot of those bartenders became bar owners and saw how profitable vodka was. Mm. And they realized that we, we can't not make Cosmos. Right, right. We need, we need There's a money aspect to this. Yeah, we got to pay the bills. So yeah. uh, start making vodka cocktails. So um, you, you've done a lot for the culture then. Um, you've done a lot uh, just individually, you know, uh, going to world class. Uh, what are you, what would you say is your finish line? Is there a finish line? I know some people say, man, you just run the race and when you're done, you're done. Sure. You know, uh, you, you just keep going. Uh, some people are very goal oriented. Um, like, Hey, this is what I want to get to and I'm going to get there and then I'm going to set the next one. Uh, where would you line up with that and kind of what is your finish line or is there a finish line for you? It's tough. Uh, you could say there's either no finish line for me because I'll always have something else I want to do. Or you could say it's because I, I distract myself too much, uh, so I, I it's hard to, to focus on the tangible finish line because right. you know what is the finish line really, and then you can get to the theory of like oh I just want to be happy or what does that mean like I don't right. know, um, and I remember this one guy coming in one night uh, he was a little mysterious. People that come in talking on the phone like with headphones usually suck, mm-hmm. uh, and this mm-hmm. guy kind of did, but I just. He, I could tell he kind of knew how to do it. Like he's, he just, I, I could tell he frequently is on the phone in some kind of conference call, but goes to bars and he was really good right. with that mute and being able to mute himself, but order a drink, but then go back to the phone gotcha. and maybe, maybe make those people not know he was at a bar. Um, and I could definitely, he was from New York and had just moved to Chicago and he was in Fort Wayne for some whatever work thing, whatever it is he does. And I got to kind of know him and he, He'd always said, uh, at the end of the interaction, this is like four years ago now, uh, he mm-hmm. was like, oh, well, you're a great bartender, Trevor, thank you. And he tipped me like $200, like even $200 bills. And I was really taken back by it. But um, I mean, he you know, paid with one of those really 100 pound black Amex cards. And yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I wasn't really sure. And so like a year goes by and I don't see this guy. He comes back again and wow. he remembered my name. I remember his name. I remember nice. his drink order. Um, and we were right back to it. And part of that was just like, maybe it's because this guy was like 45 and normally someone that would give a bartender a tough time. I wanted to win him over uh, mm-hmm. and I did and it felt good. Uh, and part of that was not having any ego and just letting him order, you know, he wanted like a flavored vodka mule, something like that, whatever. And like, why not? Screw it. Let's do it. And this guy really enjoyed it. It made him have a good time. And he was in what he thought was just going to be crappy Fort Wayne. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was able to point in the right direction. He's wanting like live music. And I told him like, well, you know, to club soda and they're playing jazz or you can go like here. Um, and he came back a year later and we were talking and he asked about live music again, but he had told me that uh, he wanted to go like, he's like, I want like a dive bar, like garage band style music. Right. And I told him about the brass rail. Yeah. And uh, that night, for whatever reason, we ended up uh, as a staff closing down and going there. And this guy was there. And again, I mean, this guy in his 50s and does something that makes him a lot of money for him to also right. be at the brass rail. And then I find out that when he was like 20 something, he was in a garage band. And he he loves going to little bars and like yeah, yeah, meeting yeah. like the young kids that are in bands as well, even though he sold out. Now he you know, right, right, right. does a lot. And then we were talking and um, he was asking, like, he was like, well, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to be a bartender forever or what? You know, the famous question. And I said, well, no, you know, I want to open a bar. And I'm standing there with my coworkers and he was game planning it in his head. He's like, well, like, what's it cost to open a bar? And he tells us, he's like, well, I'm, I actually am in this investment group, like me and some guys, like we throw money around to make things happen. And um, he gave like me and some of the bartenders, there like a test. And he was like, um, he had asked me what I would do with like, like, what's my idea if I had, you know, mm-hmm. $10 million or something like that. And I told him something and he told, he asked the next bartender, uh, he's like, what would you do if I gave you $10 million? And that bartender was like, uh, 
I would just give it to him and he pointed to me. <laughs> I was like, and I would just make money off of it. Thinking he like won this like investment broker off of him. Like, ah, I know what I'll do. I'll do no work, but make all the reward off of it. Yeah. And the guy said, nah, he's like, I would give it to him all day and pointed to me. He's like, cause he'll, he'll work for it. He actually wants it. Like yeah. he's, he actually is motivated enough to, to like, to do, to make sure it works. Uh, he's like, you, you're lazy or in some way Whoa. and call them out, which is funny because that guy was lazy. Um, <laughs> and that's always stuck with me, I guess, and you call it. Um, just, I always will work for it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so then is this how Cubicle got started? Uh, this is, no, I mean. The, Cubicle the, being, for those that might not know, you are you started a nice business, right? Yeah. And brought, similar brought story. Brought clear ice to Indiana. Um, brought clear yes ice. No. Um, Cubicle was not really something I thought I was going to do until I went to Minneapolis and saw ice commissary mm -hmm. and then started thinking like, Oh, this actually wouldn't be that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, that wasn't like the investor or anything. I haven't, uh, I actually haven't talked to that guy in a couple of years. I think I have mm -hmm. a business card somewhere. I should, I should email him. <laughs> Probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but it was just, it was just funny. Cause I think early on, um, in, in the bartending world to try to, start to thinking about like, oh, like there is actually something you said about work ethic. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so would you say that's your finish line is just keep working hard for as long as you can? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, yeah, that's when you get into the theory about what would make you really happy. What makes you happy? <laughs> uh, a lot of, a lot of things. If you, had to, if you had to list it down career wise or industry wise, what, what's like one of the top I mean, things? The, I would love to win world class. That's the goal for 2020 for sure to try and win. Be the best uh, bartender in the world. Yep. You're saying it right now. Yeah. It's yeah. impressive. Um, it's a big goal. It's a big, it's a big goal. Uh, it's, you know, uh, but definitely trying to, to put forth that effort um, and to, to do it be great. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a lot of other goals. We just uh, officially made uh, Be Better Hospitality a thing. Oh, really? Yep. What is that? Explain. Uh, so like formulating an official hospitality group that we can be recognized as a team. Cause I think right now it's a little confusing about, you know, me and like what my title is. What do I do? What do I really mm -hmm. do? Uh, what do all these other people do? What is Copper Spoon? But then there's Cubicle and then there's Sidecar and then they're like, we want to do these other things, but let's mm -hmm. like, what is it? And so what you end up being is a hospitality group. Um, and you've got some major ones uh, out there. Um, I can't think of the one. Is it the one the, the so, big one in Chicago that like owns like three dogs and stuff? You've major ones, you have small ones, but you end up having a, a group like you have like the Alenia group that's mm, Grant mm -hmm. Ockets and they have the Aviary and Alenia and Royster and just all these they have Aviary in New York now. So would that be like uh, I think in Columbus there's a oh what's it called? There's a taco place and then that same owner of that taco place owns like yep. the same one in Cincy and then yeah, they own yeah. a couple other variations. <laughs> yeah. Of see it. like the, the Cunningham group is coming to Fort Wayne Cunningham. Okay. They started brew burger, but they also own Vita and they own union 50 and they own some other places in Indy and Cincy. And then now they're coming to Fort Wayne. Mm. So that's a hospitality group. Gotcha. And, and so that's what your goal is. Yeah. That's definitely yeah. the, the next part has taken people that we've already created something with and, mm -hmm. and saying, okay, I think we've, we've got a knack for it. I think we know what we're doing here. Let's, let's go bigger and, and start opening more places be in Fort Wayne and then eventually maybe taking it farther. Now you, uh, you're obviously talented behind the bar. Uh, you started a few businesses. Would you trade winning world-class in 2020 for, um, having this hospitality group grow? Sorry. Sometimes I like to no, ask that's, interesting questions. It's, uh, it's always a toss up, right? So, um, everything requires sacrifice on some level. You sure. never necessarily know what sacrifice you're going to have to make. Yeah. Um, you talk to a lot of really successful businessmen mm -hmm. and they love their success. 
up to like, man, I really wish I hadn't sacrificed my marriage or sure. I really wish I hadn't sacrificed my time with my kids. Uh, what, what is that sacrifice level? I would say that I could do the, uh, <laughs> um, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess I'm trying not to, to make it, I don't know. Um, be better is bigger than just me. And mm -hmm. therefore what it is meant to be can be accomplished by the other people behind that wheel. Mm. And in its early out stages of what we're doing, um, I think that both are possible. I guess that's probably a typical Trevor answer to that question is I want just both, no sacrifice. We'll just Fair do enough. both. We'll invent more time somewhere along the way. Um, and yeah. Uh, Laura Newman, one of my friends who I got to do world class with a couple years ago, she won the year that I was in. Um, she was in the process of opening her bar. And mm -hmm. I mean, when she was, while she was on her way to getting second place uh, in globals, uh, she had pneumonia and was in the process of in like a week away from opening her bar wow. in, in wow. Uh, Alabama. So it's like anything's possible. Like you can, you know, some people in so many given situations would just lays out and just, mm -hmm. you know, sleep or give up or be like, nah, I'm going to focus on this one thing. Um, and I'm sure my girlfriend's rolling her eyes. If she's listening, to this, <laughs> uh, <laughs> tell me to, to just focus on one thing at a time. Right. Um, but, uh, I think part of this is, is knowing right now life feels kind of fragmented with so many different things going on, yeah. whether it was just Friday night I was bartending and then, Monday morning, I'm going through account learning how to be an accountant for a, for a business. And then on the, the next day I'm, I'm, you know, trying to read about, uh, corporate law and just, you know, trying to consolidate all this and put it into something a little easier. I'm like, okay, I, I know that I want this hospitality group to grow and I want to do it with these people. Um, but where what can my job actually just be and knowing that mm -hmm. like okay i want to do this the cocktail thing i still want to be a beverage director mm -hmm. um and i i like i guess the title we've, we've kind of played with is just operations in general operations mm -hmm. with food and beverage and mm -hmm. the whole thing um but i can do it on a bigger scale mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. uh trying to not have to wear as many hats wear one bigger hat that's fair and that's trying fair. to put so many little ones on that's and fair. one of those hats can be i think be world class uh, the application to get into that whole process, we're very far away from that application of the process is due in 15 days. So wow. that's round one. And then there's round two. If you get into round two, then you go to regionals. From regionals, you go to nationals, and then nationals to globals. It's insane. So it's, we're a far uh, road away from that. So it's definitely a, a dream uh, right now, but um, it's a big focus. That's awesome, man. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you, first of all, for being on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I think man. we've covered a lot of things. Uh, it'd be sweet to kind of do a recap or a, not a recap, but a, a round two. Um, yeah. Our goal as tastemakers this year is to try to tell as many stories as possible and then sure. uh, also bring people back. Yeah. Um, we're really hoping to, you know, as you go through the qualifications, maybe you can mm -hmm. spare a moment, come back, for sure. um, hang out, chit chat, even if we just do an audio thing, man. Uh, I know we're doing some video work, um, trying to come out with a little bit of a series here. Uh, but people like audio, they like listening and uh, in the car, at the office, you know, when the boss isn't looking. Yeah. Um, I think you're a great dude. You've hung out. Thanks. Uh, you really got a good head on your shoulders, man. I like where Appreciate you're headed. It. No, thank you. So where can, uh, just real quick, if people are listening still, where can they find you? Um, where where would you want them to find you? Um, you can follow me along at T-Scove on Instagram. Um, or uh, you can 
stop by Copper Spoon uh, or in the summer sidecar. Um, and I'm, I'm sure I'll be around for sure. Yeah. Yep. That's rad, man. Well, hey, thanks for uh, spending, I think it's what, about an hour and a half now, hour, something like that. That went quick. Hanging out. It does go quick, doesn't it? It does. It's insane. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. I think I was interviewing a chef uh, that, mm-hmm. that we both know. And I looked down and I'm like, oh my gosh, you've been here for two hours. This is nuts. Now I got to edit all this. But no, it's good. It's good. It's fun to uh, get to know a personal side of you a little bit more and see where you're headed. So I appreciate it, Jim. Thank you. Yeah, man. We'll reconnect in a a month or two. Okay. Sounds good. Peace out, man. Bye. Thanks, everybody. And uh, be sure to like, subscribe. Uh, Go check out our YouTube channel. Um, Subscribe on Spotify, Apple, you know, really wherever you are listening to this thing. Uh, Just make sure you, you hang out and. Stay tuned for more episodes. Uh, I'm sorry for not being consistent. I'm a jerk. Uh, Life's busy. You never really know what direction you're going until you get there. Um, But yeah, like, subscribe, hit the notification, uh, and then stay tuned for, for more awesome people like Trev.